0: The exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles. The Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibition, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 Submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin DB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's peterse org backslash bond.
1: You're listening to Rogue Agents, episode 18, featuring Ian Fleming's short story, From a View to a Kill. Welcome to the 18th episode of the Rogue Agents Podcast, a part of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast channel, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainments. I am your host, Jason, codename Weasel Skull. And joining me as co-agents are, we'll go ahead and start with my brother and partner in crime here, Jared. Jared, why don't you Tell me, what is the most Bond-like thing you've done since our last episode?
0: All right, Jason. Uh, I'm excited to be back. My last, most Bond-like thing I did last episode is, in most of the Bond movies, includes a lot of travel,
2: mm-hmm, a yeah. lot
0: of danger, and mm-hmm. James Bond almost always survives in the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did you travel
0: uh, over the holidays? <laughs> over the yeah. holidays, I took what was supposed to be a simple trip, out to Washington State and back, and oh my gosh, freak snowstorms, short staffing at the airlines. I got stuck there for extra days at your house, which I'm sure you were thrilled about. Delayed air flights, trying to bring both my kids. My wife's grandfather died in Puerto Rico, so she had to get from Seattle to Puerto. Rico. Oh my gosh, it was insane.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I was. I, mean. I was there to witness it. Delvin, go ahead and top that.
2: I can't really. Oh, I had pretty uh, mundane flights, even though I did travel over the holidays. I went to San Antonio where it was a brisk and balmy 78 degree Christmas. Mm. So, I mean, it's nothing like suffering when when you have to put on shorts for Christmas. Just really awful. Brings a tear to your eye. And then I went to Las Vegas. A friend of mine Lieutenant Colonel Douglas Medley retired from the Air Force, and so I got to see him do that. That was cool, uh-huh. uh, as as well. Did you see so, Willard
1: White? That's what I want to know.
2: I did not. I did not see Willard White. I didn't see the White House either. But I got to go to Fremont Street, so I mean that has that's, something to do with. I guess that's over. cool. I mean,
1: now if you said you scaled up the side of the White House using your grapple gun and everything, that would have been <laughs> that would have been cool. But I'll take it.
2: Yeah, I would need first, A, a grapple gun, and B, you know, musculature to actually pull that off. Ah, true, true. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, folks, tragically, no Pat today. Pat is uh, on holiday, as they say in the UK, with his family, enjoying some fun times. But we got the next best thing. We have a special guest this evening, Dennis Calero. You might recognize that name as the artist from the Casino Royale graphic novel from uh, Dynamite Books. I think it was Dynamite. Is that right, Dennis? Yes, you're correct. That was Dynamite. All right. Dennis, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Other than drawing James Bond, what other Bondian things have you been up to in the the last couple of months?
3: Oh, sadly, it's been very sad. Nothing. I haven't done anything. The last Bondian thing I think I did was, I think pre-pandemic, I went to Paris and I went to Harry's Bar, uh, which features in tonight's story that we're talking Ooh. about today. But I actually love Harry's Bar. Actually, I have a bar in my house and I have a couple of Harry's Bar napkins and coasters that I absconded from the uh, place in Paris. But yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite bars in the world, actually. Harry's is great and uh, it's, it's really fun that it features in the story that we're going to discuss tonight. Oh, that's
1: pretty awesome. So you're saying it's not, it's not a big tourist trap. It's worth going to see. It's, it's worth a uh, maybe a rogue agent's pilgrimage.
3: No, I don't, I don't think it's – it's not super touristy. I mean, it is, it is a bit of a uh, – I would say it's a bit of an expat place in Paris. A lot of Americans will go there. Also, I've met quite a few people from the U.K. there as well. But it's never super crowded, as, as you know. Pre-pandemic, it was never super crowded. It was always a nice place to go to get a nice uh, vesper, which they have on uh, on the menu.
1: All right, fellas. sounds like we've got another uh, spot to add to our bucket list. My goodness, fancy! Mm-mm. Well, I had to go get a uh, basically a cube branch gadget of a seventy-foot sewer snake after <laughs> <laughs> after my brother and his family left. <laughs> So, yeah, it was, uh, I guess you could call it a
0: poop to a drill. (laughs) (laughs) Poop to a drill. That just happened on the show, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Well Well done, well done. done. Hey, y'all aren't paying for this, so.
1: Well, if you're a Patreon, I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) All right, enough shenanigans. This episode is the 18th episode of our ongoing series on this channel called MI6 Rogue Agents where we basically traverse the 007 universe. That could mean books, it could be music, video games, just really any medium that connects the Bond franchise that we love so much here on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. So let's get to our rogue subject for this episode. Now you folks know that I'm always trying to up the literacy factor here on the show. So I tasked the fellas to read the short story from a view to a kill. And that was from the collection of short stories in the book, For Your Eyes Only, written by, of course, Ian Fleming. And it was first published by Jonathan Cape in Great Britain in 1960. Now, chronologically, this collection of short stories comes after Goldfinger and before the novel Thunderbolt. So the plot description goes a little something like this When a British courier is killed on a lonely stretcher road just outside of Paris, James Bond is sent to investigate. With only his wits and his intrepid assistant Marianne Russell to help him, 007 mulls over the clues in this nearly hopeless case. His dogged determination, along with his finely-honed instincts, however, lead him to a wooded field in a deadly secret. A trio of Russian agents have established a secret bunker with the intent to continue ambushing Britain's motorcycle couriers and stealing their secrets. Having discovered their secret, Bond decides to turn the tables, using himself as bait, 007 lures the motorcycle-mounted assassin into a deadly high-speed duel. In the thrilling climax, Bond and his allies take down the dastardly spies, and 007 proves once again that nobody does it better. So I'm going to go around the room and check it out and see if this is a first read or a reread for the team. Dennis, is this your first go at From a View to a Kill, or have you read this before?
3: No, it is not. I've read every word that Ian Fleming has written a number of times, even before I was supposed to do the graphic novel. In fact, I think I reread it today, and I think that this may be my second favorite James Bond writing of any sort, whether novel or short story, whatever. Only beaten out, maybe very slightly, by The Living Daylights, which I just think is a perfect story. But I love this story. And I love I love the language in this story. Fleming's use of symbology in this particular story is great. I love how he describes the teeth of one of the riders' His uh, lips are being pulled back by the wind. as He's riding a motorcycle. Uh, he describes the teeth as tombstones, yes. uh, among other things. I, I think it's an extraordinary piece of writing. I think that um, Fleming doesn't get enough credit as a writer, as a, as a user of words, I also want to believe that Fleming may have been a closet feminist. For all of Bond's chauvinistic references to women, the woman in this story saves Bond's ass. She is smart, and she is fierce, and she's a badass, and she saves his butt at the end of the day. I want to believe that maybe there is a part of Fleming being a middle-aged white man in the 50s and 60s with his limitations as such that maybe there was a little piece of Fleming that was looking forward into the future and creating characters that would stay with us and be a little bit more modern. Because I I love this character. I love the story. I love this idea of Bond going to a bar and waiting to see what would happen. I just love that concept. It's a great story. and I, I actually love all of Fleming's short stories. For you guys only, this one, Living Daylights, it's terrific.
1: Well, great. It looks like uh, we've got an enthusiastic guest here, folks. And, uh, well, passing not here, so let's skip it over and go to Delvin. Delvin, is this a uh, first read or a reread? I've never read it before. I like books, though. <laughs> <laughs> See, you follow Dennis on that, yeah.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Jared, how about you, sir?
0: You know, this is one of those weird rereads that felt like a first read i know i've read this novel before probably about 10 years ago but when i read this story i had no memory of it whatsoever so hmm. it was kind of it's a reread but it more felt like a first read to me because i didn't remember any of it but it's uh definitely came alive for me in all the ways that dennis just described and I, I look forward to getting into it with you guys tonight
1: yeah and for me it was a reread as well I read this fairly recently. I'd been reading through all of Fleming's work in order, so I read this about two years ago. I will say though that I picked up more things on the second read that I that I missed or I'd forgotten initially. So let's dive into it, shall we? Let's talk about highs or lows. Any things from the book that really stood out to us, Dennis? You've already uh, touched on a couple of things, but. We'll go ahead and start with you again. Is there anything uh, that really stood out to you as a high or a low about the book?
3: I just love the story's use of kinetic language. There's something about Fleming folding in symbols of death and symbols of life. There's a lot of stuff. You know, we talked about teeth as tombstones, a lot of symbology with bullets and sort of death symbols, which you'd expect from an espionage story set in the 50s and 60s. But a lot of talk about, you know, flowers and sort of life symbolism, there's talk about uh, lilies of the field and bluebells, sort of this small detail stuff that really stood out to me upon this reading. Fleming gets so much credit for his the way he describes action that I was really taken aback by his use of language. I don't mean to just sort of concentrate on that to the detriment of everything else, but obviously Fleming is a very action-oriented writer. The other thing that struck me is I'm particularly taken when Fleming talks about Bond and his fragility as a human being. Like Mm, he's, you know, about his fear, about his depression, his willingness to put his life on the line and not... And I love the films. I mean, we all do. But to have this person presented as not this super macho, invincible symbol, but as someone that's very fragile and is aware of their own mortality, to me is very... We often separate... Fleming on one end of the pendulum and John Le Carré on the other. But I'm always surprised how, how often their writing is very similar and their storytelling is very similar. Bond strikes me in, in this story particularly is incredibly human. And I like that Bond. I think it's my preferred Bond, frankly, rather than the sort of invincible movie action hero.
1: Well, when the, the story starts off, we even find him having failed a recent mission. He's in Paris right. after failing in a mission, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition to how we're used to seeing Bond.
3: Right. And worried about what his boss is going to say, which is, like right. you know, again, very, very human and very, you know, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I can associate with that, you know, very closely. You know, we all can. Relatable. Relatable, yes. Thank you. Okay. That's the word.
1: Delvin, what about you? Uh, high or low from the book?
2: I still do like reading. I just want to... <laughs>
1: That was the audio book, delvin
2: <laughs> Just keep having me follow the person with the rich bond history and I have the least it's okay I, I will swim in these well, deep t- 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 it's a different
3: point of view I, by the way, I also listened to the audio book
2: <laughs> no i I re- no I read the book and I'll say this much about Ian Fleming if nothing else you're going to get a picture of what the scene is in whatever scene that he's talking about. It's certainly a stylistic approach. I'm not going to sit here and say whether it's good or bad. I'll say that I think that it's okay because I think it's okay. And the reason why I have it at okay is there are some times where I'm like, can we get to the action? Can we go? And that's my comic book brain, Mm. right? But then there's some times where he's describing this restaurant in France, Paris in particular, and the Champs-Élysées. And I was like, I've been to the Champs-Élysées. So, like, like I've, I've been there, too. Me, I've been here. You know, I'm, I'm kind of special, too. Look at me. And so I kind of related to that as well. So I do like that Fleming takes the time, even before any action is set up, to describe the scene of what it is that you're looking at at such a particular detail that you know that he didn't just look at it at a map. Like, this dude had to be there. And if he wasn't there, then somebody else was there and described it to him in vivid detail. And that's that's cool. That is dedication to the craft enough to be able to recount that scene like he did. So that was cool.
3: That's a very interesting insight. I think that that's obviously... Fleming's journalist background, right, to, to be that descriptive, and also probably at, at a time when people didn't travel as much as we all have. Uh, has anyone not been to Paris in this podcast? We've all been? Oh, man. All, see, I mean, the idea that he was writing a travel log for people, you know, that hadn't mm-hmm. been able to, to have the depth and the breadth of his experience traveling, but we have a different experience where other people might be I would assume other people would be experiencing some of the stuff for the first time through his eyes. We get to identify, right? We get to identify and go, oh, yeah, I've been there. I've been on down that street. I've been in that bar. I've been in that restaurant, which is a, a different and I think just as interesting experience.
1: This is the third short story I've brought to the fellas uh, that Ian Fleming uh, has written on James Bond. We also went over a Co. and For Your Eyes Only. And in both of those instances, as I recall, the settings were based on places that Fleming actually visited at some point in time. The beach in uh, Risico was a place that actually existed that he visited. The cabin in the woods, and for your eyes only, was based off of a friend's cabin. And so this, he really struck me as a cat that's going about the world and just like, this would be a good setting for a story, (laughs) you know? All right. Picking it up here. Jared, we haven't heard from you yet.
0: High or low? I'll go with a high. And, but before I do that, just kind of a a little reminder, I think I've mentioned this on a show of the past, but uh, in the forties, I want to say the 1940s, Ian Fleming's brother wrote travel logs and he was kind of famous. As a, tra- as a travel writer. Oh, wasn't so I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's weird. I learned that in like the 40s, his brother was actually more of a famous writer than he was. And it was travel, <laughs> travel logs. So I think he probably absorbed a lot of that flair and flavor for describing travel from his brother. So I always thought that was interesting. I learned <laughs> that on one of those documentaries that they made on TV about Fleming, you know, the man behind the book. Anyway. Well, um, teaser, his brother had an influence on this
1: story which i'll get into later on in the show didn't know that
0: my high for this uh, round one of our discussion is going to be fairly specific i really like the scene with colonel schreiber at shape headquarters relatable is the word that dennis and jason brought up earlier it's very relatable to be kind of the new guy right this team the colonel schreiber doesn't want him there but he's trying to like put that wrapper around it, like, eh, okay. And I think we've all been that guy. We've been the guy who someone new joined your team. You're like, I don't want this new guy. <laughs> and then on the other end of it, Bond's like, I don't necessarily want to be here either. I was just, I was just told to be here and to do my job. And it's, it's fun to watch them do that sort of standoffish trying to be nice to each other. <laughs> but, was very British, wasn't it? Uh, very British. I, I was going to say, I was worried Alan was going to listen to this episode. <laughs> they were just trying to be very nice to each other when they clearly... Yeah. Alan does it to us, Jared. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> when it's clearly they didn't... Uh, and I just, I just like how that scene was written. I really enjoyed reading that scene on, on how Fleming balanced that and how they each, you know, try to be nice, but dip their little word selection sort of jabs in there. You know, well, did you look
3: at this? Well, of course we looked at this. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Have you guys seen a film called The Ipcrest Files? Yes. I think this, I, that idea that espionage is largely, you know, a job, and you fill out a lot of paperwork, and you deal with unpleasant people and that kind of stuff, and, 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 and that stuff creeps up in the Bond uh, writings a lot, more than I think most people would expect. Based on just watching the films, and I'm not saying that that's the most cinematic approach in the world, but I, I you know, in terms of the written word, I find that stuff really interesting, and, and I find that approach really compelling. The idea that it's like, yeah, it's a job, like it's it's a job. You get paid. You worry about your pension. You worry about your retirement. Bond gets depressed. It's, to me, I don't know. To me, that's fun. It's again it makes it relatable to me as a, as a human being.
1: Well, some of the research I did for this book, and Jared, I really appreciate you bringing up that scene, because I found in an interview with Ian Fleming that he was motivated by that scene. If you remember what was on the desk at Colonel Schreiber's headquarters, there were a couple things that were specifically mentioned. One was photographs of his family, which Bond does not have, and the other was a white flower. And flowers are, throughout this book, Fleming goes into great detail describing the field where this battle takes place, and it's full of colorful flowers. And so what Fleming wanted to do is have the exact opposite of Bond. A guy in a bland office with pictures of his family and one white flower while Bond's out doing battle in this field of beautiful flowers. That was very intentional, and it's it's Hmm. cool that you picked up on that. Well, we've been through one round. I'm ready to do it again. All right, Dennis, I know you got more to say. What else you got on this book?
3: The inspiration for the best James Bond theme ever, right? (laughs) A View to a Kill, right? It has to, Duran Duran has to be the, you know, it's funny. If I were here,
1: he'd agree with you, yes.
3: You know, it's funny. My two favorite Bond themes, View to a Kill and Living Daylights, both from short stories and both from completely, like Duran Duran, Completely into it, wanting the job, campaigning to do the song, and then aha, completely disinterested, not not liking Bond, not liking the series, not wanting to do this, and yet I love both songs. But yeah, beautiful kill, it just it kicks ass. Great movie. Interesting how it has absolutely nothing to do with this story <laughs> at all. Paris, well, Paris was a nice Was the tour. only. <laughs>
0: that's right. Paris <laughs> was the only connection I can
3: see. I just think it's it's interesting because Living Daylights, again, the opening of that movie essentially is the short story, right? So at least it has that. If you do a kill as a film, nothing at all to do with anything in this story at all. And I think when I was younger and I was trying to I was figuring out that the stories in the movies were different creatures, I was like, what is happening in this story? Where's Christopher Walken? What's going on here?
1: When is somebody going to jump off the Eiffel Tower? Where's
3: where's the, where's the Golden Gate Bridge? What's happening? <laughs> no, nope. nothing. Not at all.
1: Oh, very good. Very good. Delvin, what else do you have? I'll
2: piggyback off of that. At least you would have thought that they could have used this short story kind of as the basis of a film. I mean, you could come up with a worse film plot point than... British secret agents or British agents are getting picked off and no one knows why. It seems like, you know, that they're just getting picked off and there's absolutely no way to figure out how this is happening and Bond is put in this situation. And it kind of makes sense to the title of the movie, A View to a Kill. I understand that now reading the short story. It just kind of seemed like a very clunky way to put the word kill in when I heard the title of the Bond movie. So I don't know, maybe they should have used it or maybe they will use it in the future. Because I thought that the premise of it, of how the Russians were getting in and out, killing the British agents was very clever. And you could easily turn that into something that was a high-tech solution, right? And I was like, dang, this is cool. And then the way that they very meticulously picked up the motorcycle and everything so that the tracks... Would not be left when they were going into, you know, the arbor or the alcove or whatever the heck they were going into. All of that was pretty dang cool and could be used for movies. So maybe they will use it one day, but it would have been cool had they used it in a view to a kill, uh, the actual movie.
1: Yeah, you could at least see how they could come up with a really kick ass high speed motorcycle chase. Oh, uh, yeah. Out of that. Jared, what you got? High,
0: low, what the? Well, I've sort of started a tradition, this being our third short story, that on my second round, I, I like to read a passage, passage that stood out to me in the book. I was this hoping one, you would. All right. This one, this one happened early on, mm-hmm. and it cuts back to what Dennis is, one of Dennis's first comments. It's about Mary Ann Russell, who is the female lead in this story, and her appearance. and In the first few pages of the book, to set up this passage I'm about to read, Bond has gone to a bar ordered a drink and just sort of fantasized about what it would be like to meet a beautiful woman there and spend the evening with her and while he's doing that sort of in mid-fantasy this this black peugeot kind of screeches up to the restaurant out of nowhere and out comes this beautiful woman and i'll read it from there watched her narrowly as she reached the edge of the tables and came up the aisle. Of course, it was hopeless. She was coming to meet someone, her lover. She was a sort of woman who always belongs to someone else. She was late for him. That's why she was in such a hurry. What damnable luck, right down to the long, blonde hair under the rakish beret. And she was looking straight at him. She was smiling. Before Bond could pull himself together, the girl had come up to his table, drawn out a chair, and sat down. She smiled rather tautly into his startled eyes. I'm sorry I'm late, and I'm afraid we've got to get moving at once. You're wanted at the office, she added under her breath, crash drive. And I just thought that was cool that he had had this fantasy, and then even he was like blown away that, wait, what? This is really happening? Well, it's kind of neat that Bond was taken aback, but for us, we were like, yeah, of course, Bond. He gets what he wants every time.
3: <laughs> I, what I also like from that section of the story is Bond talking about trying to salvage a relationship with Paris. Like he he talks about having relationships, and I I think of cities in the world and my relationship to them, which I think is is always interesting. And it's just interesting to think about Bond and going like, I'm going to give Paris one last chance to be cool. Otherwise, I'm writing I'm writing her off. It's pretty fun.
1: Yeah, and Jared have to do it for Pat. I'm sure he's listening. What angle was she wearing that beret? It was a rakish angle. Thank rakish. You. Yeah. There you all go. Right.
3: <laughs> a rakish angle.
1: Rakish angle. And we've touched on it a couple times. I mean, Fleming just has a way of describing things. Like going back to the fantasy that he had about the woman. He starts the fantasy like, I'll find this woman that'll look attractive. And then he describes all her faults. It's a fantasy woman that he's completely making up in his mind but he talks about the coarseness of her hair the garlic on her breath being able to see the highlights you like, know,
3: did he mention did head. he mention black I forget did he mention black roots or the roots of the hair yeah and, yeah yeah, 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 I'd yeah. Say
1: the roots of the hair so yeah agree a hundred percent Jared I, there are just some places in here where his descriptions are masterful <laughs> I got four fun facts for you. So fun fact number one, the plot of this story was originally intended to be the backstory of Hugo Drax, Fleming's villain in his novel Moonraker. So there's a little tie to Moonraker, the
3: novel Mm -hmm. in this one.
1: Was this written before or after Moonraker? This was written after Moonraker.
3: After, okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Fleming originally wrote the story as a script for a pitched television series. Which was the same as uh, For Your Eyes Only, as I recall.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, I know there's a few of those TV series scripts he did laying around. And
1: I teased it, so
0: I'll deliver. The Underground Bunker, the concept,
1: was inspired by Fleming's brother, Peter, who served in the Auxiliary during World War II, and his job was to dig bunkers and defensive tunnels in preparation for a German invasion. So that's where he got the idea. That's
3: insane. Hmm. Nice. Can you imagine that? You'd be having to prepare for an invasion from a foreign country, digging tunnels in your own country. That's, ugh. Yeah. No, not fun.
1: And finally, my last fun fact the original title for the story was
0: The Rough with the Smooth. Uh, I think MC Hammer wrote a song about that.
3: Let's make it. Oh, you're going way back. Rough. View to a Kill a better title. I'm sure we can all agree. Yes. View to a Kill was a better title.
1: All right. Well, with those fun facts out of the way, it's time to rate this short story. And just to give folks a reminder of the rating system, if you rated a 7, it means you loved it. It shook your martini. If you rated a 6, it means it's excellent. 5, it's very good. 4, good. 3, just okay. 2, not so good. And one, you hated it. It stirred mm. your martini. So we're going to let our guests go first. Dennis, how many martinis are you going to give the short story from A View to
3: a Kill? I'm going to give it a six. I think it's great. I think it's super exciting. I think it's insightful. I think it gives us an insight into Bond that we don't always get. I love the descriptions. I love the language. I think it's terrific. Probably my second favorite piece of 007 writing by Fleming ever
1: fantastic
0: Jared where are you standing how many martinis I like it a lot too uh maybe not quite as taken as Dennis but I do like quite a bit so I'm gonna go five good five martinis I'm not driving home from this episode I'll tell you that for nothing (laughs) Uh, but no it was a fun read a brisk read an easy read quick one-two punch yeah I'd definitely recommend it to anybody that wants to dip a toe into Fleming you know especially if you've just watch the movies, and you think I might want to dip a toe into Fleming. Man, pick up any one of these short stories and go.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. They're all pretty good. All right, Delvin, we've got a six from the guest. We've got a five from Jared. Where are you landing?
2: Five and a half. Thanks. See you later. Bye, Jared. What, what the-, ex- the
0: hell are you doing, trying- Delvin? No. The rules. Habsy, no. No. <laughs> get the hell out of here.
2: <sighs> Fine, I, I I will go holesies. I'll go with a five, then I thought it was good. I read it in one sitting, and I could tell that I was I was enjoying it from that level to where I'm looking, of course, just looking down at the page count. I'm like, oh dang, I'm already through 30 pages very, very quickly. And the action is just about to ramp up and start. And that seems very similar to what Fleming has done in his other stories, to where there is that build-up and setup, and then the action comes bam, 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 and then resolution that continued in that vein. And I enjoyed the other stories. I enjoyed this story. I have enjoyed all three of the ones that you brought so far, Jason, and appreciate that you've given me the time to sit down and pay attention to uh, the novel part of of the Bond universe. So thanks, dude.
1: Oh, great. Thanks for that, Delvin. Yeah, I think we're going to have a split decision here, folks. I'm going to join Dennis and rate it a six as well. To me, as I've Journeying through all these Flemings, the really good ones seem to have some great characters. I thought Marianne Russell was a super character in this. I I really liked her. It has great descriptive moments that we talked about. And then it also has great tense action. And I thought that scene at the end, that duel on the motorcycles, was top-notch. So I'm going to go with a, a six. Yeah, so with that... Let's pass it over to our network founder, Van Plexico, and thank all Patreon sponsors who make this show possible.
4: Here are the folks that have joined up so far. They include Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drucker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, and Patrick Hayes, and Samuel Salvatore. You guys are awesome, and, and ladies, and all you folks. I uh, believe those are all guys. Allison Rich, Bart Lindsey, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, a.k.a. Fan at KSC, JJP Geese. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that phonetic spelling. <laughs> Logan Chilton, Matthew Flowers, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Traywick, Susan Trewick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, He's a dark horse for the Heisman and Kanjian. Hey, you falling up. Ben Bloodworth, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby. I need Amanda Hug and Kiss. Yep. That's one of them. George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, There Goes Davis, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, who's currently behind me, Brandon Smith. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, we had to reshuffle that. Let me do it over again. Uh, Boris the Tiger, Brandon the Smith, Cato the Barner, and Chris the Hilton. Brandon, we got to get you on the V bandwagon now, since you've kind of popped in between Boris and Cato, Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Daris Benton, David Simpson, Bama, Earl Ricks, no, seriously, Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan, by the way, that reminds me, I've mailed out quite a few of the posters the last couple of weeks, too. We did a nice business of those Auburn posters that I had printed up based on the covers of We Believe, so I'll have some of those at Dragon Con at my table, too. If you want to pick up these really nice posters of the uh, of basically the last 40 years of Auburn football, uh, Kevin Mayhan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorhythm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog. <sighs> this is the year Bo Nix has improved so much under this new offense. He's focused, he's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if Tim Pittman, Tony Perry. We taught Van how to say piggies. (laughs) That's a new one. (laughs) Thanks, Stephen, Alex Nguyen, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Riggis, Bill Miner, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad, Daniel Barnett, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Elizabeth Donald, Ice Cream Clone. And finally, James Taylor, Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrecht. John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Michael Halbrook, Mick Vizikana, Mustangs smoke Camaros every day, Paul Bankson, public land owner, Robert Drain, Russell Suther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, why am I even here? John Ringer has all the talent and carries this show. Brent Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time, anonymous, and smart Alec donors.
1: And that's the show. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page at ohmspod. If you'd like, you can even use the old email. And as a reminder, that's ohmspod at outlook.com. You can send us an audio recording of your question or comment, and we might even play it on the show. And we would love to hear from you and make you part of the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That will help raise the show's profile to attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review, as long as it's good, on an upcoming episode
0: of MI6 Rogue Agents. As a reminder, too, we also have our new phone number. You can give us a call at 707-532-5269 and leave a voicemail there. And We actually do have a voicemail that we received back in December that I will play at this time.
1: W-6-N, W-6-N, W-6-N,
0: calling G-7-W. How do you hear me? Over.
4: Hi, this is Jeff from Jeffner Presents, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And I just wanted to call to say, Pop Quizmas, hot shots! With me today are Jared, Jason, Delvin, and Pat. And I would like them to name me four, count them, one, two, three, four, people of the Box Crusade Network, that I'm wishing a very Merry Pop Quizmas to. Merry Pop Quizmas, guys. I hope you have a really great time and I hope that all of your holiday wishes come to you at the speed of a bullet. Huh, speaking of bullets. Hey, Rick, come in it. I got
2: something
0: for you. Thank you for that, Jeff, and Merry Christmas to you, too. And remember, in the new year, let's practice some gun safety. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I would like to thank the team for joining me on this episode. Of course, we've got Jared. Of course, we got Delvin. Unfortunately, no, Pat, but thank you, Dennis, for joining us
3: and stepping in. It was a great in. pleasure. Please have me on again soon.
1: Oh, we'd love to have you back. But before we let you go, we're going to find out where the listeners can find you on the internet. And you can find me at Weasel Skull. On Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Jen, Well, of course, I'm at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. And of course, you can check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. Delvin. You can find me on
2: Twitter at DEE underscore
1: RAY1977. And Dennis, would you like to uh, let the listeners know where they can find you and follow you as you uh, continue on your great works?
3: Yes, thank you. You can follow me on Twitter at Dennis Calero, and you can also go to DennisCalero.com to see all my latest uh, work, including my my most recent graphic novel, Second Nature, a werewolf graphic novel from Storm King Comics. Thank you. Ooh, did he say werewolf? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right.
1: Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out
0: The Longbox Crusade.
1: Jared, where can that be found?
0: I'm glad you asked. Jason Longbox Crusade is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those, even YouTube, at Longbox Crusade. But just check it out on your podcatchers and uh, listen to the goodness from this very crew. Thanks to the fellows for
1: taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who've tuned in. And if you'd like to leave a question or a comment on this or any other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSpod or email us at ohmspod at outlook.com. We hope to hear from you soon. And the next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature Delvin's Choice. Until then, On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast we will return.
0: This episode features the James Bond GoldenEye 07 trap remix by The Widdler.
3: As with them in Tokyo we had an interesting experience.
0: Outtakes.
3: Thank you, Miss Money Penny. That's all. That's all.
1: Everybody go on mute unless you're me. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. All right. Here we go in three, two. Jason, am I you? Here we go. I tried to get Dennis to bed tonight. I not
0: help it. We got to guess no, that's, that's, that's the we only one. We got to guess oh. Dennis
2: is here, man. That's the only one. I'm sorry. I'm oh,
1: <laughs> All right. Shenanigans.
0: Can we talk about replacing Pat permanently with Dennis? Or is that? Uh, oh, we're still recording. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, show, that's... Jason. What's, it's uh... too
3: late. It's too late for me. <laughs> <laughs>